0: our son holy spirit we give you thanks for your work in our lives we thank you that you love us so we thank you for your saving work and we thank you for your work of of making us more like jesus and and we thank you for your work around the world and expanding the influence and glory of jesus to the ends of the earth lord we admit that there are many many things in this world that are broken and and scarred by sin and and, and a lot of that's in us, and so we admit our need of you, Jesus, and ask for your forgiveness for our unbelief and, and all that flows from our unbelief. And Lord, we thank you that you began a good work in us, and you'll finish it. And we pray that, that we could see you more clearly this morning, and that if you be lifted up, you would be drawing all kinds of people to yourself. And Lord, we intercede for this world. We think of those in Ukraine who who are suffering under such evil and violence against them and against their nation that it's not buildings that are being destroyed, but lives that are being destroyed. And we pray for the enemy to be pushed back, and we pray for you, King Jesus, to bring your kingdom We pray for believers in Ukraine and throughout Eastern Europe who will gather this morning and say, Slova Bagu, to God be the glory. And we pray, Father, that you would be exalted in the midst of what seems to us an impossible situation. But Lord, we thank you that you are the God of the impossible, that on the third day you rose again from the dead, and you promise that you'll bring something glorious and great out of the darkest situation. So we ask you to do that. Father, as we open your word this morning, we ask you to be at work. Help us to see Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. This morning, we keep going in our study of Colossians, and we're in Colossians 2, and I'm going to read verses 8 through 10, and then we'll study this passage together. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of this world, Rather than according to Christ. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. This is God's word. There was a a little girl. She she was with her mother. She said, you know, Mommy, I like you better than God. Her mom said, oh, no, honey, you, you shouldn't say that. And she said, well, it's true, Mommy. I really do. I like you better than God. And she said, well, why is that? And she said, because I can hug you. Now, we know it's a bad idea to say we like anything or anyone better than God. But but we also know how good it is to have somebody to hug. And the truth of the gospel is this, that in Jesus Christ, we have God in the flesh. And so to love Jesus is to love God. And in Jesus Christ, we have God in the flesh, and he's come, and we can hug him. That Jesus Christ, according to the gospel, Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. That's the point that we're going to learn this morning. That Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. Did you hear me say it In in the passage? Paul says it. That Jesus Christ, in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. In Jesus Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Don Everts uh, wrote a book called God in the Flesh. And, and in that book, he makes this, uh, gives this insight. He says... That each season of ingathering that the church has seen has been marked by a renewed centrality on, and focus upon Jesus. That every season of ingathering that the church has seen has been marked by a renewed centrality and focus upon Jesus. He goes on and he quotes Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who observed, if you turn to the historical evidence and read the accounts of all the revivals that have ever been known in the long history of the church, you will find invariably that the very center of the life of the church at that time has been the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Oh, Jesus Take away everything other than you that would capture our heart's attention and take what we do in our lives and lift them to heaven where you, Jesus, are the center of all things. Do you know what's happening in heaven right now? There are elders and angels bowing down before the throne and before the lamb and saying worthy are you heaven is caught up in the glory and wonder of who Jesus is oh that we could be because every season of in gathering is centered around aligning earth's priorities around heaven's priorities, and heaven's greatest priority is Jesus. The last time that that happened in our country was probably in the 60s and 70s in something that was called the Jesus Movement. And so many young people were being brought into a relationship with Jesus Christ and being brought into the church It was an amazing ingathering of people into the kingdom of God. I talked to a person recently who was a part of a church that his father was pastoring in those days, and he said of his dad's church in Pennsylvania at the time, of this great work of renewal in the church, he said, it's impossible to make that much of a deal of Jesus and not have God do something. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. Help us to make a big deal about you, your person and your work, who you are and what you have done. And central to our understanding of who Jesus is, if we're going to make a big deal about him, then we need to know that Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's fully God and fully man. Which means we don't fall off on either cliff, but we hold both those truths together that Jesus is at the same time 100% God and 100% man. It's not 50-50. It's 100% God and 100% man. To fall off on one cliff is to say, well, he's man. Or he's God, but Christianity, biblical Christianity, teaches that he's 100% God and 100% man. So let me show you that. Jesus is fully God and fully man. The Westminster Confession of Faith says, says it this way in question 21. Who is the Redeemer of God's elect? And the answer is this. The only Redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ. Who, being the eternal Son of God, became man, and so was and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. The Nicene Creed says this, For us and for our salvation, Jesus Christ took on our humanity that the center of what Jesus did in being fully God and fully man was for you. It was a great work of self-sacrifice for God the Son to put on our humanity and while putting on our humanity to not give up being fully God. Jesus Christ was fully God, why? Why did he have to be fully God? Well, he was fully God First of all, we, we know he was fully God because he claimed to be God. He said, I and the Father are one. Not only did he claim to be God, he was worshipped by God, by, as God, by his followers. When his followers saw the things that he did and saw the character and the in, integrity of his life, they worshipped him, which is not something that you would find a bunch of Jewish boys doing if they weren't convinced that he was God the Son. And when his followers worshipped him, Jesus didn't say, oh, stop it. No, 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 don't do that. Don't you know that there's only one God? No, he accepted worship from his followers. And when people saw Jesus accept worship from his followers, they hated him and opposed him and accused him of blasphemy. So, the evidence of the Gospels and the evidence of the Bible is that Jesus claimed to be God. He was worshipped as God and he, was, he didn't reject that worship. And his enemies killed him, not because he was a revolutionary, but they killed him because of the charge of blasphemy. So so why is it important that Jesus is fully God? It's important for our salvation. You see, the bad news of the gospel is this, that, that we haven't sinned against people. Primarily, we've sinned against God. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done that was that which is evil in your sight. And that the God that I've sinned against is infinitely holy and infinitely righteous and infinitely just. And he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And if my sin against a holy, holy, holy God is infinite because the one I've sinned against is infinite. That I need an infinite sacrifice. In order for the sacrifice for my sin to be sufficient to cover all of my sin problem, I need a sacrifice of infinite value. And the only sacrifice that could be perfect and of infinite value it was God sacrificing His own Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God the Father put on Jesus, God the Son, all of our sin and He punished Him in our our place and the payment of of that payment is of infinite value. Because God the Son was an infinite person. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully man. You see, the first man, Adam, the first man, Adam, was created to glorify God and to enjoy fellowship with him forever. But that first man, Adam, turned aside from that design, that original design, and he chose to go his own way. And when he did, he brought shame, not only upon himself, he brought shame upon all that came from him. And so all of mankind comes into the world in a state of brokenness and shame. But for us, And for our salvation, God the Son took on our humanity and he lived a perfect life. He honored the Father in all things. He always did what what pleased his Father. He restored honor to the family name and he did for us what was lost in the first Adam, the second Adam, the second man, Jesus, in our place Restores our honor and takes away our shame by being man as God designed man to be. You ever heard the expression to err as human? You ever heard that? I mean, it's, it's true that humans do err. But what's fundamental about us is not error. What's fundamental about us is Glory. Glory that we were created with, but that's been lost through sin. And Jesus, Jesus comes and he shows us what man was designed to be. In every respect, God the Son, Jesus, honors the Father, loves the Father, glorifies the Father. Now, if you've been paying attention, you may be thinking... Well, yeah, it's easy for you to say that God the Son obeyed the Father perfectly. I mean, he's God the Son. <laughs> like, didn't, didn't Jesus, isn't it true that, that if Jesus is God, of course he obeyed the Father. He's God, and I'm not. And that's true. God the Son, Jesus being fully God, it's true that he could not sin. Being fully God. But Jesus, being fully man, did not sin. It's true that he could not sin, but as a man, he did not sin. Now, Bruce Ware, in his his book, The Man, Christ Jesus, has a great illustration of this. He says this. Let's imagine that a person is determined to break the world record for the longest open water swim. So they begin training. They begin training. And he goes out and he starts swimming five miles, then 10 miles, then 15 miles, then 20 miles. And as he starts to get up there in miles, he realizes that after a certain number of miles, his body starts to sort of cramp and and he begins to be concerned that, you know, If I'm going to break this record, you know, it's possible that I might get myself into trouble out there in the open water. And so he says, you know what I'll do? I'll hire a boat with rescue people who can follow along behind me, you know, just 20 or 30 feet behind. And they'll follow along behind me. In case I do get in trouble, they can come and rescue me. So the day of the attempt for the world record comes. And the man goes out and he swims out into the Atlantic Ocean, followed by the rescue boat. And he makes it. He breaks the world record. Now, that man could not drown because of the rescue boat. He couldn't drown. But he did not drown because he kept swimming. You see the difference? Jesus being fully God could not sin, but Jesus being fully man did not sin. And in his obedience, he secured for us a perfect record that can be credited to our account and through the crediting of that record, we who had lost the glory could be restored to a position of honor in the family. That's why Jesus, for us and for our salvation, had to be fully God and fully man. Now, what do you do with a Savior like that? What do you do with a God like that? What do you do with a man like that? You love him. You love him with all your heart. And that's the action step for this week. The point is, Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. The action step is to love Jesus. What do you do with a Savior like that? You love him with all your heart. You love him with all your heart. Now, why is that so important? Because when you love Jesus with all your heart, you won't be taken captive. You won't be taken captive by empty philosophy. You see that in verse 8? See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. When we love Jesus with all of our heart, we'll take care that we're not taken captive. That word, Taken captive is the word that would be used to describe when when someone goes into a foreign nation and captures someone and leads that person back as their slave, their captive. The King James Version of the Bible, when in this verse is translated, they translate it, make sure that no one spoils you. And and that means make sure that you don't become someone else's spoil. Now, when we come into this idea of what it means to love Jesus with all of our heart, we're moving into a part of the Christian life called repentance. That repentance is to turn from anything that isn't Jesus and turn away from that for our security, our significance, our hope, our joy, our delight, our trust. Turn away from that and trust in Christ alone. And that means that in the Bible, the heart is more than just warm feelings. In the Bible, the heart includes our minds, our wills, and our emotions. And so when I say to love Jesus with all your heart, it means that we are taking to ourselves, our minds, our wills, and our emotions, Jesus Christ for who he really is. That verse 8 ends with, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So repentance is turning from everything that isn't Christ and trusting in Christ alone for salvation, as he's offered in the gospel. Repentance leads us to trust, in repentance, we take our heart by the hand and we lead our hearts to Jesus. And when we get to Jesus, we give him our minds. We give him our minds. See, uh, R.C. Sproul uh, said this. this, is, this is R.C. Sproul could get away with this. He said, burning hearts are not nourished By empty heads. Burning hearts are not nourished by empty heads. The J.B. Phillips translation of uh, Romans 12, 2 is one of my favorites. He says, don't let the world around you squeeze it, squeeze you into its own mold. But let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice What the plan of God for you is, that it's good, meets all his demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. Repentance literally means metanoia, to change our minds, to change our minds in such a way that our minds are remolded after the pattern of Jesus. That our minds begin to make much of Jesus. That Jesus is our first thought by day or by night. Waking or sleeping. Jesus, my treasure, my hope, my glory, my delight. It's changing our thinking so that more and more we think about Jesus. He fills our minds. He fills our, our, our thoughts. But it doesn't end with our minds. It moves from the mind to the will. And in in repentance, our wills are given over to Jesus. What does it mean to love Jesus with all our hearts? It means we give him our wills and we say, Jesus, to love you is to keep your commandments. To love you is to put you first. What is it that draws our wills? into obedience to Christ. It's love. It was the same thing that led Jesus into a life of obedience to the Father. It was His love for the Father and His love for you that kept Him in obedience, submitting His will to the will of the Father in everything. Do you want your heart? Do you want your will to be engaged in loving Jesus through obedience. How do you get there? It starts. It starts not by moral effort, trying harder. No, it starts by seeing Jesus' willingness to go all the way in obedience to the Father. When you see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, kneeling in prayer to the Father, knowing the cup of God's wrath that He's about to drink on the cross for you and for me, when you see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, bending His will to the Father's will, not my will, but yours be done. And Him being willing In self-sacrifice of himself to go to the cross, despising its shame. To do that for you. The love of the Father and the love for the Son and the power of the Spirit to love him will produce in your heart a desire to love him through submitting your will to his will. And that's why Jesus said, when you pray... Pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, turn us, turn our wills towards yours. Repentance is a change of thinking that changes our wills and touches our emotions. In Psalm 37:4, we're told the psalmist says, let me delight myself in the Lord and he will give me the desires of my heart. Now, very early in my Christian life, I would read Psalm 37:4, and I would say, God, my part is to delight in you and your part is to give me what I want. And I very quickly realized that I don't want God to give me everything I want. Because there's a lot of things that I want that wouldn't be good for me. So then I began praying, God, let me delight myself in you so that you would shape and change my heart so that more and more my desires would be the things of you. So that I would want and delight and desire the things that you want and delight and desire. And that was good. But recently, as I've been meditating on Psalm 37.4, I've realized that it's even more than that, that in Jesus Christ, my delight and my desire become one in Him. That Jesus Christ is my greatest delight. He's my treasure. And Jesus Christ is my greatest desire. How about you? It starts when we turn from whatever else we're giving first place in our life, we turn from that in repentance and we go to Jesus honestly and we say, Jesus, change my delights, change my desires, so that more and more my delight and my desire both focus on you. We need the grace of the Holy Spirit for that to happen. We need repentance. We need repentance that says, Jesus, I turn, I change my thinking, my mind, I change my will, love, I change my desires that I might delight in you. This week in our study, The Journey Towards the Cross, we we read this. In the first of his 95 theses, Martin Luther observed when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Turning from sin and turning to God is an ongoing rhythm in the Christian life. Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel, He meant for that to not only be the place we start, but an ongoing experience in the Christian life. Has it started for you? Have you taken that first step of repentance and faith where you've seen the bad news of the gospel, which is that we've sinned against God and we're in big trouble, but we've come to understand the good news of the gospel, that God for us and for our salvation became man and Jesus Christ being fully God and fully man, he secured the obedience that we need and he paid the penalty that we could never pay through his own death. And he says, turn and trust in me. Have you? In Revelation three twenty, it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and dine with him and he with me. Won't you come to Him? And if you do know Him, oh, love Him. Love Him with all your heart, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray. I pray that You'd work in us in such a way that we could see more and more who you are, Jesus. Fully God and and fully man. And for us and for our salvation. Jesus, I pray that you would work in every heart here and and those who are watching online and and those who will hear this message in the future that, Lord, you be working in such a way that, that you could turn lost sinners to faith in Jesus and if that's if that's your sense right now that what God's doing in your heart is giving you the gift of repentance and faith then won't you just tell him now Jesus I admit that I've sinned against you in many ways and I'm sorry but Jesus I believe you died and rose again to pay the full and awful penalty that my sin deserves Jesus, I trust you as Savior and Lord, and I ask you to come into my life and help me become the person you want me to be. Jesus, all of us need the help of your Holy Spirit to turn from sin and to trust in Christ, to go on repenting and go on believing. Jesus, we all need your help to be able to treasure you Love you, follow you, speak of you, share you, worship you. You're worthy, Jesus. We thank you. We pray in your name.